captain's logs. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Listening to Captain's Logs and Lightsabers, part of the Geek News Now podcast network. Hey, Captain's Logs and Lightsabers listeners. Allow me to introduce you to a brand new alternate show on our feed. We're going to call it CLL Presents The Living Page, and this show is going to focus on the books, comics, animation, and video games from Star Wars and Star Trek. Now, this show will be a little bit different from our main show. And uh, after this episode will be a roundtable format. So each episode will have guests from across the Geek News Now family and from uh, outside our network as well. But each episode will always be hosted by myself and my new regular co-host and friend, Sean. How are you doing today, Sean? I am doing fantastic. How about you, sir? Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for being part of this new venture on the podcast feed. I'm excited because, you know, as as listeners of our show will know, Chris isn't really a big video game or comics fan. So I wanted to find somebody to to do a show with that was and I look no further than my buddy here, Sean. Well, I'm definitely your guy on those spots. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sean is very much into comics and video games. We get along quite well because of it. So essentially for the first episode, you know, like I said, we're not going to be adopting the round table format just yet. This is all about giving each of you the opportunity to know Sean and, and his fandom across all the media the show will cover. But after we meet Sean, we're going to have a bit of a surprise for you towards the end of the show. Because we're recording this on May the 4th, today the premiere episode of Star Wars The Bad Batch hit Disney+, and we'll be discussing our thoughts on it in a spoiler-filled discussion. Of course, we'll make sure to let you know when that begins, so if you haven't watched it, you can pause the show and listen to it after you have. But before we get into that discussion, however, let's get to know Sean and his history in both fandoms. So, hey, Sean, let's uh, let's start with uh, with Star Trek. What what history do you have with Star Trek, and where does your fandom start with that? Uh, let's see, Star Trek. I think I probably fell in love with, with with the Next Generation. I don't ever remember watching the original series when I was younger. Next Generation like just really captured my imagination and made me fall in love with it the minute I watched it. I don't even think I was, I don't ever remember even watching it live. It's just always something that I just think I would catch in reruns. And, you know, then once the world of like Netflix and streaming came on, I think I've done a couple run throughs just because, you know, even all these years later, it still holds up and it's poignant. And it's just something that you can just lay back and just enjoy a guilty pleasure on a Friday afternoon. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's the beauty of, the next generation was that it was a syndicated show. So it, depending on where you lived uh, and the stations that you had in your area, it may not have aired at the same time every week. It, you know, they, they may have fitted into time slots wherever they had openings. So, you know, yeah. watching uh, TNG live was, was always a difficult uh, thing to, to accomplish. It would be much easier now with uh, all of our smart TV guides and, and stuff that we have uh, through cable providers that kind of, allow you to search for shows but i know can you imagine going back 20 years and looking at that like digital scroll and just trying to remember hours ahead when it was going to be on 
so frustrating. Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, it didn't help that the TV guy didn't really show you more than an hour and a half or two hours. Yeah, not at all. In the future. So how did we uh, even survive in the 90s? I don't know. We did. We did all right. <laughs> this, is, this is true. Got us here. Yeah, absolutely. It did. So staying with Star Trek, uh, what are your two favorite characters from Star Trek? I would say I'm going to stick with Captains, Captain Picard. He was just amazing. You know, just the screen quality that, you know, Patrick Stewart brought to that show, you know, and just to see everything that he's done since then. I mean, he's just that amazing actor, you know, every time that he was on screen, you know, TV shows and the movies, you know, he just, he had your attention. It's, you know, he put on so much character depth in Picard, even with the new series that just aired. I love that too, just seeing where his character is after all these years, after the movies. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do with season two. Uh, second character, I'm going to stick with Captains, like I said, um, Janeway. I think just because, you know, I think I also fell in love with Voyager. I never really got too much into Deep Space Nine. But just seeing that strong female captain, you know, how they had to fight with the Federation, the Maquis, you know, bringing two crews together just kind of caught me with those first couple episodes and, you know, just her drinking her coffee in her ready room every single morning, starting her day, seeing what the Voyager crew was going to get into. Just love that too. (laughs) Yeah. Janeway was, she was, she was tough, but fair. You know, she, she was, she wasn't afraid to, you know, to, uh, to throw a weight around either when it, when it was necessary. So. Not at all. That's my kind of lady. (laughs) I totally get, you know the the attraction to her as a as a character. She you know she is quite wonderful, and of course uh, you know she'll be on uh, the Star Trek Prodigy animated show that's coming out soon. So uh, excited to see the return of Captain Janeway as well. Yeah, me too. We're going to shift our focus over to Star Wars. So, Sean, why don't you tell me a little bit about your history with Star Wars and what it was that initially captured your interest in in Star Wars? I would say. When I was a kid, I wasn't too much into Star Wars. I was more hardcore Trekkie. And then somewhere in my like late 20s and 30s, that kind of swapped. So now I'm more of a hardcore Star Wars fan. I still enjoy Star Trek. It's just there's not that much content that comes out anymore. So I do grab on to anything that comes on. But I just remember as a kid, like I think it was always Christmas Day, Thanksgiving Day. USA Network would play the Star Trek or Star Wars movies all day long. And that was just part of like my Christmas ritual. You know, you do the family stuff, you, you know, smile and kiss grandma, shake hands with your aunt who is a little kooky and crazy. You eat. And then I would go back to my like just little room and just watch Star Wars and just immerse myself into that world and universe for the rest of the holiday. Very nice. Um, Star Wars, of course, has been a huge part of my life, uh, you know, and we all have our memories associated with it. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that your, your most happiest memories around Star Wars are also, you know, with, uh, with family involved. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it's like, it, it continued for a long time. And then, you know, where we first met was, you know, a Star Wars day at Sea Cruise on Disney Cruise Line. This is true. So, you know, my husband booked that knowing that, you know, I was this huge geek and he did it as a surprise. And I'm like, well, what a Star Wars cruise? Like, what's that going to look like? And then, you know, that week was just amazing. Star Wars Day at Sea blew my mind, just being completely immersed in fandom. 
you know, walking out of the room that morning and all you hear is John Williams soundtrack through the entire ship, like almost brings a, a tear to your eye. So I think all that did was just fuel the flame and here I am a couple years later and not no stopping now. Right, right. Absolutely. And it, it's that's you know funny story about how Sean and I met. Yeah, it, it's because of our mutual love of not only Disney, but Star Wars as well, as well that, that led to us meeting one another uh, on that Star Wars Day at Sea Cruise on Disney Cruise Line, which I want to take a short little aside here and just get your thoughts on the Disney Wish announcements that we got, because that ship is going to be full of geeky uh, amazingness. Give it to me now. <laughs> the whole Star Wars bar. I, I just can't wait. There better be themed drinks. I I want to have something called a fuzzy tom-tom. Tom-tom. And I, all I want it to do is be filled with tequila. Tequila and regret. And I, I will sit at that bar every single day, every single night. And I will live my best life. And hopefully at some point during those cruises, you will be beside me making the same poor life choices. <laughs> hey, I have already said that I plan to move uh, and make the Disney wish my, my permanent address as far as uh, next, you know, starting next summer. So <laughs> I'm right there with you. I will be living in that bar. Absolutely. But I mean, you know, we're going to have to eat from time to time. So we have to go to the Marvel themed uh, dining experience as well. So I'm absolutely all for that. There better be like pin particle food. I want like a pretzel. That's the size of my head. For dinner, I would be perfectly happy there, too. Yeah. yeah, just all the content, everything that they're throwing with that ship is completely different from anything else in the fleet. I I could not be more excited. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I'm going to like any other ship after that. No, and it's only two-day sailing, so... No, two to three-day sailings. Yeah, so... I think it's going to take over the Dream uh, as far as the way that the Dream currently does the alternating Bahama cruises i think that's how the wish is going to be that's going to be the new standard but i don't care nope me either and, and after that i'll get off i'll sell my kidney and i will do a two three night on the galactic star cruiser <laughs> and i will be just the happiest geek there ever was absolutely i think we need we might need to uh pile into a room and just fit as many people into the room as possible to afford that <laughs> Hey, there's bunk beds. Anything can happen. Yeah, very true. Very true. Anyway, that's that's enough. I I just since you brought up where we met, I I wanted to make sure that we had a a brief moment to describe that. So we're kind of we'll kind of get back to uh, our focus of of getting to know Sean a little bit better. Yeah, that was a good little excursion. Absolutely, I enjoyed little cruise wordplay. What are your two favorite Star Wars characters then, Sean? Probably Ahsoka Tano has a huge place next to my heart. Just watching her journey during Clone Wars, I probably screamed and squealed a little bit when I saw the episode of Mandalorian, the Jedi, and saw her come into, you know, the big screen world. I I love that. I love she's the only Jedi with two lightsabers. She has a good heart. She doesn't take crap from anybody. So I'm all about I love Ahsoka. Absolutely, and that's my favorite character as well. So you and I, uh, uh, we I already got is. along great, but yep, you know, that's that only is going to strengthen 
our friendship for sure. Team Tano. <laughs> Team Tano, absolutely. Uh, what? Uh, how about another character? So for my second character, I would have to go with Anakin slash Vader. Uh, just seeing his journey through all the movies, starting as a little kid who just, you know, wants to get out and see the galaxy, going to, you know, episodes two and three and seeing his Jedi training and, you know, his eventual fall from grace to to become Vader. I love some of the story arcs that they've done in the comics where you get to see kind of his first little time as Vader, which we never saw in the shows, in the in the TV series. And I would love to see some of that explored on, you know, Kenobi when that finally hits. Just seeing there's um a story arc in one of the very first volumes, I think it was his first set of Vader. And it's him trying to go after a kyber crystal. So he hunts down you know, a recluse Jedi that's kind of been in hiding since Order 66, defeats him, takes his kyber crystal, corrupts it, makes it bleed. And, you know, he gets a beautiful red kyber crystal out of it at the end. And just kind of seeing, you know, that darkness invader that you kind of were, you know, seeing a little bit with Anakin, but just seeing it come full-fledged just warms my heart that he's so evil. Yeah, I, I remember that arc very well, Sean. That was the Vader comic that was written by Charles Soule. He had that entire run, and uh, he's he's just a phenomenal author. He really he really gets Star Wars. Uh, I also really hin- enjoyed his take on launching the High Republic with Light of the Jedi. Uh, he had a very difficult task of trying to introduce a brand new era and a bunch of new characters, and I, I think the way that he put it together was, was admirable. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that... I like that arc as well, and I think that's a fantastic choice for good Anakin story. So if you haven't, if you haven't read that arc yet, uh, it's the Charles Soule Darth Vader run. It, it's the one that started, I think, in 2017. Does that sound? Yeah, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yep. So it's the Darth Vader comic, that, the comic that started in 2017. Uh, it's the one that picks up right after the events of Revenge of the Sith. So uh, check that one out. Now, while we're talking about comics, what what is it that draws you to comics, Sean? I just love that, you know, it gives you a chance to explore different times and periods between the shows and the movies. I think for me, that Vader run, the the artwork on that was just exquisite and it just kind of caught my eye. For me, it's not just about a character. It's got to be everything with that comic. I've, I've got to, you know, be attracted to the artwork in it, the, the storyline, the writing, you know, it's just got to be that whole package. And I think with that, first Vader run that caught everything with me. I love Dr. Afra. I don't know if you've read any of, of hers. I don't know where I can get a triple zero and a, a murderous robot and a, <laughs> you know, assassin droid, but right. put me on the market for that. I'm going to see if I can go to droid depot and make a special request. <laughs> you might be better off making BT first. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I don't we'll, think we'll they can, I don't think you can make protocol droids yet there. Not yet. Just give them time. <laughs> you might have to buy the weapon packs. Those might be extra. So how about you? Like, what Do you have like a couple comic series for Star Wars that you know, you're a big fan of? I, I like Dr. Aphra. Um, I think it, it just she is a... She's very much like Indiana Jones. You know, she... Absolutely. Almost... She's not a very good archaeologist, and she oftentimes she stumbles on the right solution to the problem that she's facing, and that's that's such you know, 
that's Indiana Jones in a nutshell. He's he bum uh, oftentimes Indiana Jones bumbles his way to the solution in in the film. So he he never seems to have a hundred percent of a plan, and neither does Doctor Afra. Nope. I, I love it. And oddly enough, I would say that she even has a swagger of one Mr. Han Solo. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah having qualities of two different Harrison Ford characters is is very interesting. Yeah. Have you uh, have you listened to the Dr. Afra audio drama that they I have not. I didn't even know that existed. Oh yeah. So they they basically adapted her first appearance in uh, the Darth Vader comic but they turned it into a full audio uh, like a full length audio drama. It's fully scripted. It, it it has multiple characters, and it is absolutely fantastic. Emily Wu Zeller does the voice of Doctor Afra. She so she's the narrator of the story. So it's all told from her perspective. She is. I don't know. I'm not familiar with Emily's other work, but she just brings the character to life in, in such a, a, a fashion that it jumps right off the page it's on audible so you should check it out if you have an audible membership just search dr dr afra and you'll find it uh it's it's i'm going to look for that immediately yeah it's a wonderful six six hour listen i think so it won't take you long yeah not at all yeah now what what is it about animation that captures your imagination i think with clone wars when I was watching Clone Wars when it came back out, it was just, you'd never seen anything like it before. And, you know, I just kind of fell in love with that one. I kind of lost focus on it. And I, I forget what happened that I just, I think I stopped watching it in the middle of the series. I don't know if it was like work got crazy. And then again, you know, that Star Wars Day at Sea, I, I heard of Rebels, but I don't think I ever caught on to watching that as well. And I caught an episode you know, laying out up on the top deck. And I was like, oh, this is okay. This is really good. I could get down with this story. So the minute I got home, I think I bought all the seasons off of iTunes and did a deep dive and then went back and bought all the seasons of Clone Wars and started rewatching it from the beginning all the way to, you know, what the end of season six. And then of course, season seven, when it popped back up there, which was, you know, mostly Ahsoka driven. So was of course perfectly happy and content with that yeah yeah absolutely just the the fact that we got ahsoka's story fleshed out even more in rebels uh that i was i was going to watch it regardless of what happened but from the moment that they introduced her at the end of of season one of rebels i was i was immediately hooked uh, because mm-hmm. up until that point rebels was all right it was a lot more episode of the week and there wasn't that story narrative that really carried it until her introduction so yeah ahsoka saved that show i think ahsoka saves a lot of things well yeah she she's very good at that now while there's nowhere near as much star trek animation to draw from have you did you watch the original star trek the animated series or have you watched lower decks and I've seen maybe a handful of episodes of the original animated and I enjoyed it. I couldn't get into it too much. It was just like a little campy. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it for what it was, but you know, it was probably something at some point where I need to go back and do a deep dive on it. I'm embarrassed to say that I've heard so many good things about lower decks. And I think 
the only parts of Lower Decks that I've seen is when I forget to turn off Star Trek Discovery and it'll automatically go into Lower Decks. So I'll watch like maybe a few minutes of that. So it's something that's on my list that I definitely need to go back and revisit and kind of experience because, you know, all I hear is good things. Yeah, it's such a love letter to TNG. So I know you're going to like it. I, I myself, I haven't watched every episode. I've watched the first half of this first season. So I think five episodes. So I'm right there with you that I haven't watched all of it. I just, it's hard for me to find the time to do it. That's unfortunate, but it is what it is. I, I think as a, especially as a huge fan of the TNG era and, and Voyager, I, I think the references and the love that they show to that era of Star Trek is, is right up your alley. Yeah. All right. And then I think it's full of sarcasm. So, mm-hmm. you know, anything that's snark and sarcasm is my cup of tea. Absolutely. It, it's, it's such a good show. It really is. The, the humor is, is perfect. And it really, it honors Star Trek while still being a, a silly animated show, which is difficult to do, honestly. What about books? Have you gotten into any of the Star Wars or Star Trek books lately? Or just in, well, even the Legends line? What, what's your history with those? So when you say books, you are meaning the kind that do not have hand-drawn pictures and that are all mostly words. Yeah, those ones. Yeah. Uh, I hate to say it, but I don't think... I might have read one Star Trek book, maybe when I was 17, and I want to say it was called Imzadi. Okay. Just because I had just like this weird crush on Deanna Troy. Um, I don't know where it came from, and I don't know where it went. But uh, when I was 16, it was definitely there. Um, I don't think I've ever read a Star Wars book. I, I have High Republic. I bought that and I opened it up and I think I read the first three pages. And then I put it down and I opened up a comic book because it was a lot less words. Um, so I can't say I have a favorite book. So I definitely suck on that spectrum. That's okay. Audiobooks are phenomenal for that. I, I read... Yeah, I've read uh, a lot of the books, but most of my reading is done in the form of audio books. The way that Star Wars produces their audio books, it makes it sound like you're listening to a movie because they have music and sound effects that really immerse you into the world. And uh, I, I think if it hadn't been for that, I don't think I would have been caught up on nearly as many books as I've been able to because I have... A somewhat lengthy commute back and forth to work so it helps kill the time you know between that and listening to podcasts so uh i'm right there with you um i i'm definitely downloading that on audible on my earliest convenience and that'll be my deep dive over the next couple of days so we'll have to talk go. about that one later on sounds good we can cover that later so kind of shifting back to animation a little bit all right what would you say is your favorite story arc from the Clone Wars? Honestly, I would have to say the last part of season seven. I cannot tell you how many times I have started that and just watched them all the way through, just on a day off in the background, you know, sitting there at night watching them, you know, just seeing Maul versus Ahsoka, you know, everything with the fight with Mandalore. It just, I, I love it. It just seemed like the creative team from seasons past to season seven 
just trying to make it more of just like this beautiful cinematic experience just to send the show off and they pulled it off 110 Mm percent i agree i the siege of mandalore arc belongs on the big screen i i think that would it it seems like it was edited together to be feature length so absolutely i I would love to see that and i i really hope at some point when theaters are back that lucasfilm decides to do that because i will buy a ticket to see that the first moment it comes available i think i've even gone as far as i've downloaded the tracks on an apple playlist because when every episode of clone wars would come out a couple days later apple would put out or whoever would put out um that episode soundtrack so i have a lot of those grouped together into a star wars playlist that I will play here and there, and my husband will frown and complain on, and eventually I have to turn it off. So I mostly listen to it when I'm alone, but I love it. Even the score for those episodes were amazing. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of, we're going to get into that when we talk Bad Batch, but Kevin Kiner just gets Star Wars music uh, on the same level that John Williams does. Uh, he's, he's just, he's been able, you know, he's been writing music for Clone Wars and Rebels and, and now the Bad Batch for forever. Uh, he's written, he's honestly, he's actually written more Star Wars music than John Williams has at this point. Uh, but the way that he uses the Williams themes and interprets them uh, to fit the, the story on the small screen is, is phenomenal. He does fantastic work. So I, I think that his work on the siege of Mandalore is, is quite possibly the, the culmination of everything that he'd done up to that point. And it just, it, it's perfect in every way. I agree. That's brilliant. What would you say is your favorite comic storyline from star Wars? Would you say, is it, is it something from the new Marvel run, the classic Marvel star Wars comics, or even the dark horse era? Uh, and I know you had said earlier that, the Anakin arc where in the Vader comic where he, you know, get, obtains his Kyber crystal and bleeds it was your favorite Anakin story. But was that is that your favorite comic arc as well from the Star Wars line? I would say I would say yes. Honestly, I haven't read too much of the older stuff pre Marvel. I always have it on my list to go back and try to get because I see how the omnibus is always at the at my comic store and I've grabbed them in my hands a couple times, but. I just never bit the bullet and got them. But yeah, I started following the Vader, the Star Wars line, and a couple of the one-offs here and there. But yeah, I would still say definitely the Vader one. And that was my biggest surprise because I just picked up the Star Wars and there was a tie-in issue. So I was like, okay, so now I have to go back and read Vader. And usually I get annoyed when I have to go start another series to understand what's happening. But I was pleasantly surprised and that beta one blew my mind so it's definitely one that i've been picking up ever since nice nice okay so we're going to shift the focus now over to video games uh i i think sean you're looking forward to this topic as much as i am right i love video games all right got a couple hardcore favorites of course (laughs) so do you have any history with star trek video games I want to say when I was a kid and we had a computer because my mom worked at Radio Shack. And it was 
like an early on computer with like floppy disks and that whole mm-hmm. feel. We had a, I don't even remember what it would have been called now, but it was a classic Star Trek game on the computer. And you would have to warp off to missions. And I just remember I could never get past trying to blow up this Klingon bird of prey. And I really wish I could remember what the name of it was, but I was probably seven or eight when I was playing that, maybe nine, ten, like that age range. So I was really young. And I don't think I've really ever played anything Star Trek game-wise since then. Yeah, the, the Star Trek video game uh, have not been there. There have not been that many, to be honest. Uh, and the ones that were that there were, I don't recall them being very good i know that they had made a uh, first person shooter style star trek game several years back i think it was on the original playstation and then pc that was all right actually did do you have you ever seen or heard of that one i don't think so the only other one that i can think of is a buddy of mine has an oculus and there's um i think it's called star trek bridge crew yes yeah, and he raves about that one. So I keep on throwing around the idea of picking up an Oculus. Yeah, uh, when we actually when we interviewed Landry Walker, uh, he had mentioned that as well uh, about how phenomenal that game is. So, uh, yeah, you and I might have to both pick up an Oculus at some point. Uh, just be so down for that. that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so Star Trek video games kind of have a, a sordid history. Much, you know. There haven't been very many good ones, to be honest. Uh, Apple Arcade, actually, if you have a subscription to Apple Arcade, it's like four ninety nine a month. But there's a really good Star Trek RPG on Apple Arcade that it's called Star Trek Legends, and basically, it's kind of a loot box style RPG game where you know you can draw random crew members from across the various eras of Star Trek, uh, oh, that's and cool. you kind of put them together and there are you know it's turn-based battles it's really fun and i i have to get into it i know i think my crew right now is michael burnham wharf and uh i can't remember who else i have i think just a random starfleet crew member <laughs> in a red shirt that's gonna die in the first five minutes of the mission yeah probably <laughs> yeah, yeah uh but it, it's a fun game and it's it's probably the best star trek game to come out in quite a long time so i'll have to check that one out came out of nowhere too which is kind of cool. Obviously, Star Wars has a much more colorful history and in-depth history of video games. So let's kind of start from the beginning of your history with Star Wars video games. What's the first Star Wars game you remember playing? uh, And what was your experience with it? I'd say my first one is probably Force Unleashed and Force Unleashed 2 back on PS3. I just loved it. I think the storyline, the the cinematic graphics for it were just stellar. I remember I think I spent an entire week trying to bring down... There, there's a part in the video game where you're trying to bring down a... What is it? A Star Destroyer with your Force powers? Which you had to toggle the joysticks or something. And I don't know if I could figure out the combination or what the deal was, but I just could not bring down that freaking Star Destroyer for an entire week. And I think it probably broke at least one control. Just like chucking it across the room. Cause we've all been there. Mm-hmm. You know, your hands are sweaty. Mom's spaghetti. 
<laughs> just trying to like get that Star Destroyer down. And I just, I couldn't do it. And when I finally did, it was like one of the best achievements of my entire life. And I right. still look back on that memory. Absolutely. Uh, I remember that sequence very well. And I think very much like you, I had a, uh, a it took a long time for me to figure that part out. And, and solid Eminem reference there, by the way. Thank you. I had to, you have to say that in whatever possible. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, did you ever play what a lot of fans considered kind of be the holy grail of Star Wars video games, uh, KOTOR? I have not. Ooh, ooh. Uh, I know it's on sale this week on Steam and consoles. And they're, they recently announced that they're going to be doing some sort of remake of uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. So definitely check out the original it's a it's a turn-based rpg it it's kind of clever because it uses the dungeons and dragons d20 system uh so there's always there's a dice roll that goes on in the background of every turn that you take to decide the amount of damage and the effect of your attack and whether it hits or misses uh it's really clever uh and a really good story so nice yeah i've always heard good things it's just one that for whatever reason i just never grabbed or got into at the moment right right uh have you played jedi fallen order um i played a little bit with one of my best friends because i never had a ps4 he he had his ps4 so i played with that one i i loved how you could build your own lightsabers and upgrade i I love the whole thought process behind it Mm -hmm. but i never finished all the way through so that's one that i want to go back and go play again especially with the second one coming out again Yeah. Yeah, and the story is really cool. It fits right in with a lot of what we've seen from Star Wars animation uh, as far as, you know, hol- there's uh, the story revolves around a, a Padawan who survived Order 66, much like Kanan Jarrus and Rebels did. And, you know, it, it's about his quest, his story to rediscover his Force abilities and decide whether to bring back the Jedi Order. It's a really good story, ultimately. Definitely worth your time. I will put that back on the list. Nice, nice. Sean, I'm I'm really, really excited about getting to know your geekiness, your nerdiness a lot more after today. And I, I'm really hoping our listeners are as excited as I am. I hope so, too. What do you say we talk about what we tease at the intro to the show? I think let's go for it. Right. I mean, it is May the 4th, after all. It is. Star Wars The Bad Batch is the newest animated show from Lucasfilm and Disney. And of course, the show is exclusively on Disney+. And the feature-length premiere episode launched today, May the 4th. So, Sean, before we kind of get into a deeper discussion of the show and into spoiler territory, what was your level of excitement for The Bad Batch when it was initially announced? I would say probably 50-50. Like, I'm always for more content, but I guess I didn't pay that much attention to their story arc you know in that last season of clone wars so you know i had to go back and rewatch that and kind of actually pay more attention to you know see who the characters were uh see what they were all about um this morning when i started it i was pleasantly surprised i love the intro i loved i I think i'm going to be a huge fan of where they're going to go with this picking up right after you know order 66 and picking up right after where the Clone Wars left off. So it's going to be kind of an extension of that whole 
you know, animated universe that Disney has put out and put so much thought and feeling into. How about you? I, I very much, I was the same way. I was very lukewarm when they announced it because I thought the Bad Batch arc was kind of cool, but it ultimately just felt like Star Wars takes on the A-team. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, which I guess isn't necessarily a bad thing, but that's a little before my era. So I, I don't know if the, I had the same nostalgia that the, that Dave Filoni probably did for the, uh, for the show. But yeah, I, I definitely had lukewarm expectations. Actually, it wasn't until that second trailer dropped about a month ago that I really got excited for the Bad Batch. Uh, I, I think it, just seeing how they were going to handle Post Order 66 with Tarkin and the introduction of Omega just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. What did you what did you think of Omega in that trailer? Did you get the inclination like I did that she was female? Yeah, a little bit. I didn't know where they were going to go with it. So I was optimistic, just didn't know what to expect from it. From her. Mm-hmm. Him. Him, her. I love that they they went more in depth with Tarkin right after um, Order sixty six. I love that you see Saul Guerrera again because that seems to be a a common character that pops up, you know, through this animated universe of you know the shows that they're starting. Now that we've had the opportunity to see that first episode of the Bad Batch premiere that premiered on May the fourth, uh, I'm really excited to see the direction that the show's going to go. And I think at this point, we're going to be getting into spoiler territory for that first episode. So this is the point where if you have not yet watched the Bad Batch series premiere, this is your warning to stop listening to us right now and go watch it. Come back once you've watched it and then finish this discussion. So your spoiler warning begins now. Three, two, one. And go. Sean, let's talk again let's let's now let's talk spoilers on the bad batch uh, series premiere let's talk about that opening sequence on kolar tell me every single thing that was going through your head while you were watching that whole opening 20 minutes or so um i would say the minute i saw that young padawan and his jedi master i knew exactly who that was where we were going and just to see young Caleb kind of go through that initial trauma of, you know, his team going against him. I, I loved it. I, I, I love that they're linking, you know, not only to Clone Wars, but now to Rebels. You know, to see, you know, Kanan as such a young Padawan and seeing what he went through during that experience. He also had a comic series, which kind of goes back in you know, narrates that entire time of his life just to see that on in animated form now. You know, I was a huge fan of the comic and seeing that in animation, I love that too. So I think right there, my opinion changed on The Bad Batch and I was completely 100% sold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I can't believe they went there. I was so excited to see Kanan's arc from the comics, from that from that solo comic make the leap to animation i i really i really can't believe that they went there that is that i i lost it as soon as i saw 
because uh, I knew exactly who it was. Once I saw Master Balaba and then the him walking into frame, I, I yeah, I, I went nuts. And now I, I'll ask you if if this bothered you because as excited as I was to see Caleb Doom uh, and hear Freddie Prince Jr. voicing him again, did it weird you out that Caleb Doom seemed to have entered puberty very early? <laughs> yeah, little boy, deep voice. <laughs> it, it did throw me off. Okay. I'm like, well, okay. I just accepted it. I accepted it and rolled with it. I love that you did the call out and you asked, is that Freddie Prince Jr.? And I had to look on IMDb and yes, absolutely, indeed it was. Yeah, because it, it at first sounded the voice sounded young so i and it seemed i thought it might have been freddy but at the same time i was i wasn't sure but yeah you confirmed that for me and then it just kind of got a little bit weird just with how deep his voice was that uh, for such a what i mean i'm assuming 12 13 is that his age yeah 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 uh that was a little weird but it wasn't enough to take me out of it, so and I no, I don't think we're going to be seeing Caleb Doom again either. So oh, I kind of hope so. I would love to see him pop up again and you know have us see another tie. But I mean, who knows? Anytime that you expect to see something with any of these things, it's it's anybody's bet where it's going to go. True, true. Uh, it was yeah. It was kind of still. It was kind of heartbreaking to watch Depa Balaba meet her her end uh on on Kohler. It was sacrifice a nice... herself for her Padawan. Right. Which is often what what a master does for their Padawan. I mean it's it's an echo of what Obi Wan did for Luke uh on the Death Star, what Qui Gon did to ensure that Obi Wan could defeat Maul in episode one. Star Wars is always about uh echoing itself which this is this was no different i think that where am i going with this i don't know it makes you almost think of that if you're a jedi master do you really want to take on a padawan does this mean that i have to sacrifice myself for my padawan at some point it's a very good question i I think i think i would just stay a single master (laughs) just hold my own yeah yeah, that might not be a bad idea. I uh, I like how we got that callback to se- uh, season one of Rebels, where the Inquisitor captures Kanan and is interrogating him, and we he uh, he recounts the very last words that Master Balaba said to him, and we hear that in the Bad Batch. It it was such a cool callback. Uh, I, I love how it all connects. Did you catch yeah, that? That was great connection. I did not, but now that you brought it up, yeah. After the sequence on Kolar, we see Clone Force 99, the Bad Batch, returning to Kamino. And I I know that we'd seen Kamino previously in Season 6 of The Clone Wars, but really it's the first... Uh, really the first time other than that arc that we've spent any time on Kamino other than in Attack of the Clones. Now I just want to go back and watch Episode 2. Uh, but what did you think? 
what were your thoughts on the Camino scenes where, you know, of course we, we meet Omega. We find that Tarkin is there to test the clones to make sure that they are worth the empire's spending to continue production. Uh, and then the tests that he puts the bad batch through what, what did you think of all of that? Well, I think it's interesting because if you think about it, I mean, you wouldn't have the entire clone army. You wouldn't have, you know, all the stormtroopers if you didn't have Camino and that you wouldn't have, you know, the entire uh, stormtrooper fleet without, you know, that origin of Camino, And it's not really a planet that we visited all too much, you know, in the comics and the movies, you know, in the animated series. Yeah. Just a couple times that you touched on to spend some time there and see what their training was like. And, you know, the whole scene where they're kind of trying to prove themselves to Tarkin, I thought was awesome. You know, and, and Tarkin being Tarkin decides to, hey, let's kick this up a notch. You know, if they're as good as they are, we're going to throw some live rounds at them. And then to see them go up against those battle droids, I, I thought that was an awesome idea and, a, you know, a great way to motivate their story and kind of make them realize, hey, are we on the right side? Because maybe we're not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, obviously, we kind of get the the revelation uh, on Camino that that Crosshair either do you do you think that Crosshair's inhibitor chip his uh, that was functioning? Do you think his of the Bad Batch members? Do you think his was the only one that was functioning? Uh, because he I don't know. Definitely was the only one that objected to Hunter's orders, uh, and he felt that they should be following the orders that the, that Palpatine gave them. Uh, and obviously, you know, we kind of see towards the end of the, of the episode that hunt or rather that crosshair is definitely in line with the Imperials and not his bad batch brothers, which I thought was a really cool setup for what's to come. But yeah, it yeah, almost seems like it almost seems like his chip, his inhibitor chip, is the only one that was functioning because he wanted to carry out the orders. He wanted to uh, execute the Jedi and, and Caleb Doom specifically. I, I I I'm excited to see where that goes. I know that's a solid question. I don't know. I don't know if you know we're going to see is is it going to be a story arc where you know his chip is not functioning just like the rest of the team, but it's just his code of ethics is completely different. And, you know, what that kind of does to the team morale. And I mean, this is a brother of theirs and, you know, they thought that, you know, teammate, I don't know, I completely lost my thought. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to see, you know, what kind of story arc they're going to do with that is, is his ship functioning correctly? And we're going to see that character development go over. The rest of the team is going to have to, you know, figure out how to align and progress without their teammates. So it'll be an interesting, I guess, story arc to see unfold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, again, all of these things that we saw in the premiere are, are really get, have really gotten me excited for the rest of the show and how it's going to play out. I am happy to see that my, my initial intuition about Omega was correct, that, that she is female. I I think it brings a, a unique look 
now to the show. I, I think, you know, now that we know that there is a, you know, a, a female member of the Bad Batch, I think is really exciting. It, it kind of is going to break up the the machismo <laughs> of the Bad Batch and kind of Definitely. attract a different demographic of, of fans, not just boys. But I think Omega is going to really have something for, you know, everyone as well. So is it just me or did she give you like childlike princess vibes from never ending story? That was the first thing I thought of when I saw her. It, yeah. Yeah. Very much the, the look, uh, the, the medallion that she wears on her forehead. Um, yeah, I, I, I see, I see where you're, yeah, I see where you went with that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of a cool connection that I wasn't expecting and, and I didn't pick up on. It was all I could see at first. <laughs> I just, I love the accent. I love any accent. Well, yeah. (laughs) But I I just, I I thought, I don't know. I just, I'm really excited to see where it goes with her. And I'm so happy that, that, you know, that she is part of the show. There's so many different angles and ways that they can go with everything. Right, right. Now the, um, going back to the training sequence, you know, where Tarkin switches it to live rounds against the Bad Batch, uh, those droids that they faced, did they kind of remind you of what could be early prototypes of the death troopers that we saw in season two of the Mandalorian? That was absolutely what I thought. Okay. Okay. I wasn't the only one. Good. Nope. I was right there with you. (laughs) I mean, they just seemed, you know, they, they seemed to give the clone force 99, a lot of trouble until tech figured out how to rewire the one and, and use it to their advantage. I thought that was cool. Um, I, I really like tech. He, he might be one of my favorites. I know he just has that. I don't know, like odd man out personality. So I love how each one of them has like a very just distinct personality mm-hmm. and it's just each one together, you know, I feel like might be someone that you could beat, but as a team, you know, they're just going to be this awesome team that's, you know, is going to be almost impossible for the Imperials to take down. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely going to give them a lot of trouble for sure. So after the training sequence, uh, Tarkin decides to put the, the, the Clone Force 99 to a test to see if their loyalties are with the Empire or not. Uh, so he sends them to. Onderon, uh, which, as you had mentioned at, you know, as we were having our non-spoiler discussion, uh, you know, when we were talking about the trailer that we saw, saw Guerrera uh, in the trailer. Uh, and of course, you know, the Clone Force 99 is dispatched to Onderon and they meet up with Saw Guerrera and find out that uh, immediately Saw Guerrera and his partisans are taking the fight to the empire there was literally there was no period of transition where they tried to where they didn't see the corruption of the empire and i thought that was fantastic you know and it, it's crazy to think that for 19 straight years saw Guerrero had been fighting against the empire where the rebel alliance was created much later you know really it wasn't the Rebel Alliance really wasn't created until maybe six, seven years prior to the Battle of Yavin in Episode Four. You know, yeah, but just seeing of, you know that little group 
kind of be the basics of what the Rebel Alliance is going to grow out of, I thought was was an awesome start too. Yeah. And and the fact that uh you know of course Clone Force 99 is led to believe that they are meeting separatists on Onderon and not um not Saw and his crew it 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 puts them into that that uh conflict of of morals uh and of course you know they realize that the empire is playing them and the empire is not the, you know the benevolent organization that Palpatine is trying to make them out to be. I thought that was phenomenal. I so, agree. Clone Force 99 decides after this, after they meet Saul and decide not to, after they, they decide not to take out Saul and his partisans, they decide to return to Kamino and rescue Omega because they realize that she's one of them and she's in danger if she stays there. Uh, of course, you know they're intercepted by Tarkin when they get there. Uh, he realizes that they didn't complete their mission and they're imprisoned. What did you think of that part of of the third act? Um, I mean, it slowed down a little bit. I just wanted to see. You know, I like that they kind of called out Tarkin for what he was right at the beginning. Like they were never misled. I think that's going to be a big part of you know, where the storyline goes, you know, this is, this is their team. These are their brothers all around them. And the clones are reacting to them now compared to how they were before, you know, seeing how it's all of a sudden after order 66, you know, the entire fleet just kind of did a complete 360. And now, you know, it's not what they know. It's not what they trust. So the fact that, Tarkin came to them with this offer and they were skeptical and they didn't trust him. And they even found that he had sent those droids to kind of spy on them because he, you know, everything was a test for them. Mm-hmm. I think Tarkin is always, he always tries to be three steps ahead of everybody. And that's just what makes him, you know, kind of a, a really good enemy, a really good villain. Mm-hmm. So can't wait to see how he escalates the situation with them. Right, right. I I think that's going to be phenomenal, and I'm honestly I'm scared for what could happen to uh, the members of the Bad Batch. Honestly, I don't know how this story is going to play out, but I, I, I yeah, I'm I'm scared. Um, now I want to kind of talk a little bit about the scenes between Omega and Crosshair, how that conversation where. She said she knew what he was about to do. She seems to have some sort of intuition uh, or or some sort of insight into the future. Did did you get that vibe as well? I did. Um, so I'm sure more is going to be explored with her. And, you know, maybe it is just a very strong intuition. Maybe she's a good judge of character. Or, or maybe there's going to be a little bit more. Do you think that Omega is force sensitive? Do you think that's her mutation? I know that uh, in the lore that we've seen so far, that when Palpatine tried to create clones of himself, he wanted a force sensitive clone, but never could because clones don't have midi chlorians. I believe is what kind of the expanded lore has has shown us through the comics. And do you think that somehow Omega has a a mutation that makes her that gave her midi chlorians that she is somehow 
because she's the final clone from Jango Fett's DNA, do you think that could be her unique quality? I think it's a very strong possibility. Ah, the show is so good. I know. I I can't believe that they're going there, uh, and I hope they go there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like they're going to go there. I I was definitely not as excited for the show prior to seeing this episode as I am now. I no, yeah, I'm right there with you. I it blew my expectations. Oh man, I I am I am for I am down for this ride. I will say that much. I I don't I don't think that we're going to be disappointed with anything that they're going to throw at us either. So I, I'm trusting the force with this one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm excited to see where the Bad Batch, the rest of the series takes us. Um, I think for now that's going to do it for this very first episode of the living page we thank you for listening we appreciate you joining us on this new journey into the world of comics books and video games and animation uh for both star trek and star wars so thank you again sean why don't you let everybody know where they can reach out to you if they want to talk to you about anything that we discussed today uh, you can find me on the Book of Many Faces as Sean McGuire Bryan. Fantastic. And of course, if you wanted to reach out to me, you can search for at just a Disney geek on pretty much all of the socials. Type that in and you'll find me. Uh, I should pop right up again. Thank you for listening to the first episode of The Living Page. And we'll talk to you next time. All right. And Jonathan, may the fourth be with you. Ah. Uh, Watch out for Revenge of the Fifth, though. That's a killer. 